Ready. Hey. Just in the middle of the field, 45, 50. Greengrass in front of him, leaving Lions in his way. I am Jeff Joniak. Blitz is on. Down he goes. Brisker. What was it like playing for Coach Dicka? Uh, I don't want to answer any questions like that. 61 yards. Ooh. A Sunday stroll for Justin Fields. Now, Bears, etc. with the voices of the Chicago Bears, Jeff Joniak and Tom Thayer. Time again for Bears, etc. here. Jeff Joniak and Tom Thayer, the Super Bowl winning Bear. We'll preview the Bears and Buccaneers in Tampa. Hope everybody's doing okay. Uh, coming up in the program, a conversation with NFL royalty, Tom. We got a Bears icon, the great Hall of Fame middle linebacker, Dick Butkus. <laughs> I, I, I know there's one story that he didn't tell you that I've asked him before in life that I, I would be I would like to contribute to. Okay, we'll talk about it afterward. Uh, up here at Hallis Hall, getting ready for week two. They will come quickly here now that the season is underway. Let's get you caught up on the latest news. Uh, right now, the injury report. No idea what Kyler Gordon's hand injury is. They are not saying at this time. Also, Josh Blackwell, who is the backup nickel, also on the injury report, so there could be some real shuffling going on here. Tyreek Stevenson time did play nickel at Georgia before he went to Miami of Florida. Jalen Jones also played nickel last year against the Jets. There are options, uh, but against this team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and that big slot, Chris Godwin, that's a that's a tall order. Yeah, but, you know, something we've grown used to from last year, the defensive backs all had a chance to play and contribute in some way, shape, or form from special teams to regular snaps on defense. So I don't think of anybody other than a rookie it would be a great shock to for them to either move position or to contribute somewhere or maybe even have a little bit of a revolving defensive backfield so the guys are fresh uh, according to what down and distance and what position they play. Bears head coach Matt Eberflus earlier at Hallis Hall on his comfort level and Josh Blackwell. Yeah, we're just looking at all of our options, but in terms of with Blackwell himself, in terms of his the comment about last year, it's invaluable, right, to be able to ha- be out there and know the position. You know, as we said before, there's a lot of detail to the position, uh, that nickel spot, and, uh, you know, he's done a good job in there. You know, he's been a good special teamer for us, and uh, – you know, if we go that route, that'll be, you know, it'll be, uh, he'll do a nice job. Terrell Smith be another, or who are those other options, if not John? Yeah, I'm not going to uh, divulge the, the other options right now, but uh, we certainly like what we have. All right, another topic of conversation is Chase Claypool, Tom, uh, a big topic, actually. Eberflu says he did visit with Claypool after the game about his perimeter blocking, showed the technique in practice. We raved about him during training camp, digging out linebackers, making big blocks. I know you were very happy with his progress during training camp and after you watched the tape and watched how he played on Sunday against Green Bay, certainly you understand why some of these conversations are being taken place. Yeah, but you know, technically it's one of the most difficult blocks to make because there's a separation anywhere between five and 15 yards of ultimate uh, the collision point of that block. The thing that you need to do is you need to do it full speed because you know exactly where the design of the play is supposed to hit. So if you attack a defensive back and you make him take the longest path possible to get to the ball carrier, then that could increase the amount of yards you have at contact or put the tackler in the most difficult position. So to me, when I look at it, you know, everybody has a hand in the evaluation now through all your new day social media. 
if you know the play or you don't know the play, you don't know the point of attack, you don't know the exact design of where the technique is supposed to happen. To me, it's more about the the type of effort you give at the line of scrimmage to the point of block. And so that's what I need to see going forward is more effort, but more effort out of everybody. I'm not going to isolate Chase Claypool and say he the, he's the reason the offense wasn't successful because I saw him do it at practice at a really high level. Uh, and, and that's what he has to do because, you know, Chase Claypool is always going to be talked about size first. So when you have that 6'4 plus frame and you're hitting a defensive back that's going to be smaller than you, then you expect that uh, Chase Claypool be in control of the collision. There's Matt Eberflus and then Justin Fields on Claypool. You know, I would just say everything comes down to technique. You know, it's, it's about technique. And it's about really about when you're blocking the perimeter like that, you have to have good technique, right? And, uh, you know, he's displayed good technique in practice on that. And uh, that's why we had him in those positions. But uh, perimeter blocking is all about technique. It's all about your angles. And it's all about your intensity for sure. And uh, it's always about that. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're push cracking on a, on a, line, on a, a linebacker or cracking down on, on, on somebody inside. Um, that's what it's always about. I think the biggest thing is, you know, just having that same mentality as you did in camp and just, you know, keep working hard every day and, um, you know, just just keep going. Um, you know, of course, he probably didn't have the game he wanted to have. Um, probably wanted to have more catches and, um, you know, we all probably didn't have the game that we wanted to have. But, you know, just keep working, keep getting better. And I think that's the um, theme of this week. The theme of today is, you know, uh, work towards 1-0 on Saturday or Sunday. And, um, you know. Just get ready to play. And Tommy, you know, Justin was also asked about his relationship with Equimenius St. Brown, who was inactive for the game, and just what he brings to the table. Let's listen in. He's a great run blocker for us. You know, he always has been since last year. Um, and you know, he knows the playbook like the like the back of his hand. He's really smart. Um, you know, and I think he's a leader uh, in the receiver room. So um, just just that part, um, perimeter blocking. He's he's really good at that. So um, I think that's probably one thing that that we missed. I mean, he's savvy. Knows. How to uh, change directions pretty good, quality hands, and you know, like I said, he's always gonna uh, be on time with the quarterback. He's gonna run the right route at the right depth, and you know, be at the uh, right place at the right time. So I mean, you just get uh, dependability on him, and you know, he's very uh, reliable in the pass game. So yeah, these are comparisons the media is making. You know, EQ St. Brown out. Uh, you know, will Claypool be on the field on Sunday? You know, that, that yet to be determined. Uh, but head coach Matt Eberflus and the fellas will sort out that out against Tampa Bay down in South Florida. Overall, though, uh, opening up the passing game certainly is something that's on everybody's mind. Yeah, you know, and Justin made reference to the fact that EQ knows this playbook like the back of his hand. And that's one thing every single player on this offensive side of the ball should uh, have is a great knowledge of the offense that they've been installing since OTAs. But it's about the performance on Sunday that is really going to be the judgment of how well you play. And so if E.K. St. Brown is the next man up in that mentality that's all around the NFL, that if they do put him in there, he has those perimeter blocks that uh, factor in outside run zone plays or screens, EQ has to come up with some big, big type of blocks. And Justin talking about uh, agreeing that he needs to take some shots down the field. Yeah, for sure. That's one thing um, I talked to Luke and Coach about is just, you know, um, I felt like I was a little bit too conservative at times uh, during the game. So, uh, you know, definitely – with, um, you know, guys like DJ and chasing the outside, if, you know, we do have 
one on one on the outside, potentially throwing it up and you know seeing what happens. So uh, you know, with them, you know, they're great playmakers, and you know they can you know, most likely come up with a 50-50 ball. So uh, definitely, uh, you know, want to give them you know more chances deep down the field. And I know this is something that's big for you for this matchup against Tampa Bay, Tommy, pushing that ball down the field. Listen, if you have the luxury of time. Um, if you can get yourself into an open throwing lane, if you recognize that there's single man coverage at one of the receivers from DJ to whomever's on the field, you got to throw into a smaller window of opportunity and rely the receiver to either go up and make the catch, don't allow the defensive back to make a catch or uh, do something spectacular. Right now, when you spend over $29.99 at Steinhoffel's, you'll score a $100 Bears Pro Shop gift card. Visit any one of the four Chicagoland locations, Vernon Hills, Crystal Lake, Donners Grove, and Harwood Heights, or shop online at steinhoffels.com. Jeff and Tom here on Bears Etc. Podcast. Coming up in moments, the great Dick Butkus. Uh, also on the injury report from a Tampa perspective, a shoulder he did practice, though, for Baker Mayfield. Uh, a rugged performance against Minnesota winning on the road. It was... Uh, Kind of an ugly offensive first half. They couldn't get anything done. They blitzed him mercilessly, and he still managed to make plays. Big ones down the stretch, including closing out the game and never giving the ball back to Minnesota to have one final crack at it. What impresses you at all about their offense at the moment? Because you must begin the conversation with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. You know, Mike Evans, that's where my concern is because anytime that you're told by the team that you're expected to go out and give 100% for that we're not going to re-sign you and give you the contract that you're asking for, it's almost like a challenge for Baker Mayfield. Hey, how can I keep Chris Ev- or, I mean, Mike Evans involved in this game plan, give him more opportunities? He was te- targeted 10 times this week, and you're going to – you're going to give him opportunities. You know, I, I think that Mike Evans has developed the reputation that even if he's covered, he's not covered because he's got that huge frame that is willing to go up and compete for the football at its highest point. Chris Godwin has always been a heck of a receiver, and I think he's a great compliment to Mike Evans. And when you look at uh, Baker Mayfield, you know, he keeps everybody involved. And Baker Mayfield has lived on the injury report. So I don't think the shoulder concerns is going to say, oh, my God, maybe he will not take as many snaps. He will. And, uh, you, you, all, you know, Tampa always keeps the tight end involved. And the tight end has had some success against the Bears. But to me, it's running game through Mike Evans and to see how they can protect. And uh, the offensive line, Without Ryan Jensen, their their biggest asset on the football field. When you think about Tristan Wirfs, their great right tackle, he's moved to left tackle and had to get some advice during the offseason, but he's also going through some growing pain. So I do think the Bears have some attackability um, if they do want to take some chances and putting pressure on Baker. Baker Mayfield because he doesn't have that blazing speed and that athleticism that so many quarterbacks are gifted with. So try to make them look small and trying to throw in the tight spaces. Vikings blitzed a lot. They really did. Are you are you open As to well, blitzing? Well, you know, it's different. The Vikings were playing at home. The crowd noise is an assistant there, unlike a lot of stadiums in the NFL. So if I can make their snap count and their offensive line look dysfunctional, then I can take some chances. So yeah, I am willing to take some chances. Look, you know, 0-2 doesn't sound good. You know, 1-1 one one really gets you back on track. So if you're looking at offense and Justin talking about make, taking some chances downfield, you'd have to look at the defense as well. So a guy who knows Tampa better than anybody, DJ Moore. 
So 19 targets, 13 catches last season and two games against Tampa, two touchdowns, nearly 200 yards against uh, similar defensive players. Uh, I'm not sure who picked him up or how they how they uh, worked coverage over there. Carlton Davis uh, was not in those two games. So uh, he is usually the guy that, that goes with the number one. But that, that'll be interesting, all that conversation, after just two targets and two catches last week against Green Bay. Another note on Evans. The amazing uh, part of his career, nine straight 1,000-yard seasons to start a career. Right. Too shy of the all-time Jerry Rice record of 11 Randy Moss had 10. Uh, and you mentioned the tight end, Kate Otten, led all rookies last year with 42 catches, third in yards at 391, and the offense kind of ro- rolls through him with their new offensive coordinator, Dave Canellis, who came over from Seattle. So they brought some Seattle coaches over as well. They hung up 20 points on the road against Minnesota. You, you know, real quick, though, one thing going forward, I think each week when we talk about the defense, it's not necessarily how and whom they're going to cover DJ Moore with. How are they going to attack Justin Fields? Because you're talking about probably the best athlete on the Bears offense is the one that they have to contain the most. To me, uh, the next subject that's going to come out of your mouth is going to be about exactly that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so what are we looking at? We're going to be looking at blitzes. Hey, listen, Todd Bowles, you know, he proved it in the Super Bowl that he has the ability to to sit these guys on the quarterback from unexpected angles that affect your peripheral vision when you see pressure coming at you. You see guys in the defensive uh, second level coming and trying to uh, sneak up into, not sneak up into the gaps, but show themselves in the gaps. So that interferes with your pass protection. If you think, okay, I have an inexperienced running back that has to block one of these talented linebackers, you're automatically thinking during the cadence, I probably got to get the ball out of my hand a little quicker. Second play of the game this past week against the Minnesota Vikings. They blitz your guy Winfield for a sack cause fumble. So uh, Todd Bowles, like I say, he'll never be in a three-point stance but he could be the biggest factor on defense. Yep, he makes all the calls. So when you see Vita Vea coming off uh, the line of scrimmage with heavy hands, he's got uh, a rare combo of power, and despite being 6'4", he's got leverage coming out of his stance. Uh, he'll control gaps. He is a load to deal with. Uh, is that where it all begins for them defensively because he can collapse the pocket too and be there for three downs and ruin your run game and, and collapse the pocket, whereas you have to push up or push out and you get extended into those edge rushers? Well, you got to figure Vita Vey, he measures at 6'4", like you said. He probably comes off the ball more at about 5'11". Wow. So the first thing that the offensive line coach should be preaching to every offensive lineman if he's your responsibility, make sure you block the line of scrimmage before you try to go to the second level if you have a combination block. So right now that has extended time at the line of scrimmage by two offensive linemen, and then you're talking about these linebackers having that extra second to run free. And that's the thing that can really hurt you in this defense is the ability of the, the these linebackers to run. So Vita Vea, yeah. You got to try to get some movement on him. Why are they the best run-stopping defensive line in the NFL? Because he takes multiple blockers for an extended period of time. And those linebackers are both former Pro Bowlers, Devin White on the weak side and Levante David, the senior member of the Bucks defense, now 33, and he still can move. Good news, Chicago. Yeah. United Airlines is getting brand-new planes with all the bells and whistles like Bluetooth connectivity, screens at every seat, and room for everyone's roller bag. United, proud to fly the Chicago Bears and you 
two. While we're talking about linebackers, no better way than to talk about number 51. Uh, he walks with the cane now. Looks great, though. Wonderful to visit with and talk about a full live live with Dick Butkus. He thrived, uh, Tommy, in an era of toughness, grit, bloody hands, mud. Uh, made for NFL theater, that's for sure, and captured and persevered for perpetuity by NFL Films. Our memories of marauding a 6'3", 240-pounder, a growling middle linebacker patrolling the Bears' defense linger, and intrigue, my conversation with the great Dick Butkus. In a way, I wish I was able to play today, but then again, maybe maybe not. Maybe I liked it the way it was back there. That, to me, that was professional football, playing on a baseball field that literally went from one end zone down to the other, and then two feet later, you're going to hit a brick wall and a chip bronco brick there. And uh, who, who somebody said we had a locker room back there that was you know too small for a you know a wrestling team. It, it, it's just I, I just really liked it. It was to me the real stuff, the real pros. You barely played on grass. Oh, I mean, after no, after yeah, after a couple of weeks, you know, they painted it. Yeah, it was actually we practiced there. So, you know, you heard that term like with sheep. You know, the farmers, uh, other farmers didn't like sheep because they compacted the ground from walking because of their hoofs, and that's what we did with our spikes. It was literally just dirt and paint, and then uh, what was it the uh, south? Uh, Southeast corner where, you know, big two by twos or four by fours covering the corner of the visitor's dugout to finish the end zone. So, so the corner over there was boards over the, over the dugout. And then they would go, their locker room would be above, uh, above. They'd go through the, the dugout and then walk upstairs and then to this room, you know, and then all the fans are there throwing <laughs> at them. <laughs> they used to do that to us over at County Stadium, too. They finally put, like, uh, you know, like uh, like tarpaulin or something inside the fence because they'd throw shit at you as you walk by. That was uh, an era of the intimacy of the game because yeah. the, the fans are right on top. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wrigley Field. You know, and they'd get there and there'd be a couple kids you know, you bring him in with you. Yeah, he's coming in with me, you know, to the game. And it was all cool, you know. You don't have to go through all these. Jesus, yesterday, uh, you think I was going under a lockdown at the White House. <laughs> <laughs> but so to you, it's, it's something uh, like a, a, a romanticist's view of what the game oh, yeah. was born to be. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. 100%. You weren't thinking so much of the exposure that you were presenting like they, like today but imagine the TV uh, you know and the crowds the viewership you know the Super Bowl biggest selling our biggest or most watched show uh, back then you know it wasn't like that but I, I don't know I, I traditionalists or whatever yeah. call me I, I just I, I loved it back then but let know? me let me pose this question to you though yep. so six three 240 pound linebacker yep. who would have been prepared differently, both yep. by training, nutrition, yep. injuries would be treated differently, surgeries would be treated differently. What kind of linebacker would you have been? 
There's a guy named Arthur Jones who, when I retired, I, when I moved to Florida, I started working with him, and uh, he's the guy who invented the Nautilus equipment. And he, uh, he was a no bullshit guy. To go through a real Nautilus workout is, it, you know, it's a b to do it right. Uh, he took me through a couple, and, and I, you know, made it a point to get through. And he said, if, if, if I would have gotten you when you were like 19, he said they would have to bar you from playing. He said because that 260, you you could have been weighing 270 and been uh, a lot stronger and faster and everything else. And I already had the the skill of the game, you know. You could take two guys and okay, granted, you know, a proper training, uh, strength training, and all that is good, but. It, if this guy doesn't have some inkling of how to play the damn game, you know, you right. got a big guy that's an oaf that can't play. And uh, so that's the only thing I was always lacking the proper training. Although I thought I was, you know, I, I would work out. But you didn't do lift things. weights much, did you? No, I, yeah. I didn't lift weights uh, because when I was like eight or nine years old at Griffith Natatorium on the south side, that was where we swam, is the city pool. And we, uh, we uh, were on the swim team, so we got an extra, you know, you'd have the normal swim, then they'd empty out every, the pool and wait till everybody goes, and then we'd go back and practice for uh, swim meets and everything. So in the meantime, while they're waiting for the pool to empty uh, people, we're back there fooling around with weights, and I, I had this weight over me, and I fell backwards, and I fractured like my wrist. And I said, "That's the end of that." Hmm. So what I was actually doing when I was like 15, I started working as a furniture mover, and that was uh, that was my that was my weightlifting, uh, and it was you know. A, there's two different ways. What we call, you know, positive is like if you're raising a weight, uh, and then lowering it is called like negative. Mm -hmm. Well, you can lower uh, about thirty to forty percent more weight than you could lift. Hmm. And Arthur used to take me right through a whole negative workout where you just lower the weight, and you talk about wanting to feel stiff the next day. <laughs> so we, so when. When I was working with him, uh, we did an experiment at West Point. And the reason we chose West Point, well, first of all, the guy, the strength coach there was a Nautilus guy, uh, proponent. So we went there also because those kids, those cadets, you tell them to run through that wall and they'll, they'll try to do it for you. Because that's the kind of workout it is to do it properly. So we start, you know, and we're hoping we're going to get some first string football players for them and really help them. You know, and I forget the coach's name, but he, he was scared, so he gave us, like, all the, you know, second, third teamers. But still, there were cadets, and they still had that desire. So the first couple of days, I mean, we they couldn't get to the second or third machine without throwing up or having their pulse go, like, up at the 220, you know, almost the fibrillation. By the end of the 16 workouts, they were able to go through the whole thing and not get their pulse over 175, and they like tripled their uh, hmm. their strength. So, I mean, Shula actually bought the stuff and he helped move the, move the equipment in when, with the dolphins. So it was uh, it was a great experience for him, but it was after yeah, I after was done. The fact. And you know, yeah. I'm like God.
So to hear like Tremaine talk about, you know, here like their diet and everything else, can, can you imagine? I mean, honestly, what were you going to eat after practice or going before practice? What were you eating? We'll whatever just, you can find. Whatever, you know. <laughs> Bologna whatever. sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a good question. I, I <laughs> well, what, what the was, hell we ate? What was your pre, did you guys have pregame meals? Oh yeah, yeah. You no, did? it's the old steak. I'll load up on all the wrong stuff, you know. <laughs> Make you feel even more loggy. You know, yeah, it was, it was the steak deal. Yeah. In the more, yeah, yeah. No, I don't know what they have, spaghetti or whatever. I don't oh, know. Oh, it's a, it's a smorgasbord. It's, it's yeah. a, a lot of advances that mm -hmm. way in the strength training. Yeah. That's what I miss uh, that we didn't have. Were uh, you, you know, I always interested about the term instincts because if we have 50 guys in a room that never played football, if we teach them one rep to make a play, how many, what percentage of those 50 guys are going to have instincts to play the game? Now you have to have the athleticism to do it. Your instincts were insane. Well, uh, did you, did, was it the geometry of the game, the angles, or how would you define your instincts? Well, the, the way I would explain it to you is that, you know, I was always, uh, since I was eight or nine, uh, because I was the youngest of nine, uh, a couple of my brothers played organized. Uh, Ronnie, he played with the Cardinals for a year or whatever. So I always looked looked up to them, and and um, like I said, I I lived at on 103rd Street there, and and our uh, we had a you know a decent sized front lawn or whatever, and a picket fence, and so I got the old Skippy uh, jar and that's what I used for a tee and start kicking, because they wouldn't let me play with them. Uh, over at Fernwood Park there on the south side. So I just, uh, I would, you know, the neighbors must have thought I was something wrong with me because I'd play by myself. I'd, you know, run and play like I got tackled. And and all that stuff carried over to when I got to high school. Huh. And uh, it, you know, I was I was so into in, the game. Uh, you know, a lot of trivial things, and that's why, like, you know, at, at CVS, you know, I kicked, I punted, I kicked off, I kicked field goals. I did, I never, I never stepped off the field, and uh, and that's the way I liked it. So. Uh, and the story goes, you would have been a potential Hall of Fame center. Well, that's what Gibran wanted me. I wanted me to switch over if I couldn't play linebacker anymore, and uh, I probably could have uh, if I made up my mind to do that. But you had a lot of good friends as centers. Over the years, yeah, especially in the division. <laughs> yeah, I used to. I mean, I used to have fun with them. You're and, an instigator. Well, I used to have a lot of fun. You know, everybody thought I was so serious, but I, like, you know, Joe Cap would kneel down, facing the defense. You know, they'd have the circle huddle, but you know, you can get somewhere where you can see, and you just read his lips, and then at the end, after he tells you to play, <laughs> you know, they always quarterbacks always go on two or on one. Yeah, you know. So they'd come to the line, and then I just like real serious, like, "Hey, uh, Mick, don't forget it's on two. And he'd be, you know, he'd look up for the snap like that. I said, "Everybody, it's on two, you know." And they're just like, "Is there anybody that you didn't get a uh, lick at that you wish you would have?" Oh, uh, maybe Bradshaw. One, one more time at Bradshaw. How did you handle losing? And uh, what would you say to players that are still trying to learn how to win? Well, I uh, I don't think I would be a very good uh, 
person to talk about losing because I, you know, I would, I would uh, take it personally, no matter what. Like I was telling Tremaine, I said, you know, there's my deal, my motivation throughout the years was that uh, you're never going to play a perfect game, so that there's no no resting the, uh, on your laurels. You can always do better, and. Uh, and that's what happened when, uh, I guess, I thought if you lost, you had to feel bad all week. And, uh, but maybe that was my in incentive to do, you know, work extra hard on different things to avoid that happening. I mean, how, how can you explain uh, I get uh, Defensive Player of the Year and we win one game? 1969. Yeah. So I, uh, I always had that attitude that there's, there is no perfect game. There's always something, uh, an extra block you can make, an extra tackle, or, or whatever. You just never know uh, how important it is. And now I was telling Tremaine, you know, you know, what do you do? I figure out what, you know, a guy, they toss a pass to John Mackey, breaks it, and he's, you know, 30, 30 yards downfield. And, so you run up to him, and so what are you going to do? Are you going to drag him down and make a tackle, or could you grab him and try to punch the ball out? There's no other offensive players around. And so what if he gains five more yards? He's already made the first down. And a number of times it actually happened. So uh, <clears throat> that's one way of almost accepting, uh, not accepting a defeat. You know, here's a guy breaking a, a long one for a touchdown that should be a touchdown, and, and you stop him. So there's always, always something extra you could do, and that's why I like playing on all the, all the teams. Uh, you know, kickoff. Well, I didn't play in the kickoff after my first or second year, but everything else I was on all the special teams. I, I just didn't want to get off the field. So... And that's the way it is, uh, you know. You, uh, I would think it'd be pretty hard to find someone who loved to, to play the game more than I did. I don't know. It's maybe a cliche, but uh, I'd put up, I'd put up the time that I thought about it and worked on it all those years uh, against anybody. Yeah. Tommy knew he was going to be a football player in the fifth grade, like you. Yep. I mean, that's the way we were raised. You know, he's raised on the south side. I'm raised in Joliet. When Pop Warner football came into existence here in Joliet, Rocky Carnegie, the head coach, came over to our house and told my mom, I know you have two sons. We need them for Pop Warner football. Be at Pershing Field on this reporting date, and the rest is history. <laughs> so what were you going to – at the outset of the program, you said you had uh, a butkus note. I thought. Okay, so one time we're going to have to have Jim Morrissey on, who ended up wearing number 51, and he tells the greatest story of the first time he came face-to-face -face wearing number 51 as Dick Buckus walked in the locker room. That's a story that Jim is going to have to tell us. But I asked Dick Buckus one time about the Rocky movie when he named his dog Buckus. And I said, did Sylvester Stallone call you beforehand and ask you if he could name his dog Butkus? 
He goes, no, he didn't. But Dick Buckus has acting in his background. So he says, no, but I did run into Stallone at one time. And I said, hey, where's the residuals? <laughs> what do you know? You name your dog. And it was kind of a funny back and forth that they had. And it was out of respect that Sylvester Stallone named his dog Buckus in the movie. But there was never a whole a, a pre-phone conversation say, hey, Dick Buckus, we're going to name our dog after you, and he's going to play a major part in the movie. But I just think it's funny that it's football respect, it's the video respect that Buckus has, he, and he talks about the love of the game. But then how does it spill over generations and years after? one of the greatest movies ever made and the, the first Rocky and they named the dog Butkus in Philly. That That's pretty impressive. I will tell you, as he was sitting there contemplating with that final quote, which is the greatest way to end that interview, few, if any, love the game more than me. And he got emotional. He, he did. He got emotional. It still means everything to him. The game, still, the game he played. The game he played when he played it means everything. I kind of got a kick out of him talking about the stadiums that he played in, whether it's Wrigley or County Stadium in Green Bay when they played half the games in Milwaukee, half Milwaukee, the games yeah. in Green Bay. But in 1984-1983, when Mark Board started to play offensive guard for the Bears, I saw this video clip when we were preparing for Green Bay the next year. He was rounding the corner in the end zone, and he stepped on that board that was the edge of the end zone in County Stadium. And he twisted his ankle so badly that he had a severe sprained ankle from it. So whether it's Butkus talking about his era or, uh, you know, update it until the era that I came became a part of the Bears and seeing that video of that, it's just – there's something that he talks about that is an ignition switch or reminds me of an event of, you know, not his era, but of an era gone by. We're brought to you by PNC, official Bank of the Bears, and Busy Hard Seltzer, the official hard seltzer of the Chicago Bears. All right, uh, news around the league today, Tommy. Uh, practice squads for all 32 teams will be expanded in 2024 to allow for one international player each team. Uh, part of that growing uh, international initiative. Uh, there are plenty uh, of those players on rosters now, including one here uh, for the Chicago Bears. What, how do you feel about it? I'm all for it. I love to see development of an athlete that maybe has a unique skill set or a size that you go, you look off in the distance, you go, wow, look at that guy. I would love to have a chance to work with him. So it, it's, you know, from the, uh, so the full spectrum of skill set, speed, size, a unique talent that, you know, is developable. And so I would like to see them, but as much as them playing on a practice squad, I would like to see them first get reps in the USFL or the XFL to get some actual game type of play and then step onto the NFL field. I think you'd become more competitive sooner. Yeah, Roy Mbatica, he's a... Uh... Offensive lineman here for the Bears. He was with the Giants on their practice squad last year and remains on the Bears practice squad now. Uh, most of these guys are defensive linemen, edge rushers, offensive linemen. They're, they're big, big guys, that's for sure. Chris Jones could make up to $25 million this year. He still could be tagged, but he's back with the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I'm sure he'll play a little bit this week, but you know, you'd expect him to be there when they meet the when, meet the Bears in Kansas City. Yeah, and a fresher Chris Jones, my uh, – 
belief that on third and obvious that he would be in the game this week. Jason Peters at 41 signing with Seattle. Thoughts? Uh, amazing. Uh, it's a credit to Jason Peters. You know, here's a guy that's ready and prepared to go in and play. And, you know, maybe he needs uh, six or seven days of preparation and uh, more power to him. Congratulations. And I wish I had had the opportunity to play at 41. You could have if the back didn't go, right? Or no, I mean, if, if it was the modern day football, I think I would have been able to. I kept myself in shape and I was still playing a lot of competitive sports at that age and it just would have been fun to be that old in the locker room and trying to deliver a positive messages to kids that you need them to work harder or put more effort into their preparation. Take a chance. Download the Bet Rivers app today. Final thoughts as we look ahead to week two, 12 o'clock the kickoff from Tampa, Florida, where it's expected to be warm, muggy, and possibly rainy. Uh, what are the keys to victory, Big Tom? What are the keys? To me, I think the Bears, if they run the ball successfully, they can expose some defensive coverages if they run really aggressive play-action passing. And they have to go out there and run play-action as it looks exactly like a run on the line of scratch. Then you get those defensive backs peeking in the backfield saying, where is Justin going to go? Who's going who's gonna to get the handoff? And I think it will allow Justin to have more obvious pass uh, opportunities than if you have a drop back in, in straight uh, protection uh, in the throwing game. You talk about play action, then you're talking about getting Cole Komet involved, getting the running backs involved, giving the offensive line a chance to fire off the ball aggressively, but not have that blocking, uh, run blocking assignment, more of a sustained uh, run fake assignment. But it's got to be aggressive. You got to be able to fool the defensive line of scrimmage by making it look like run knowing the whole time you're going to throw the ball. All right, for me, it's just you know, protecting the football, especially on the road. Uh, that'll be the, uh, the demise if you can't protect the football. And uh, obviously, defensively, figure out a way to calm down Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I mean, yep. I know it's never that simple, but I know everyone's going to talk about and watch very closely third down on both sides of the ball, what happens there, and if the Bears are going to push the ball down the field and whatnot, but... Uh, you got to start with those cornerstones and figure out a way to stop those two guys, and hopefully you'll lead to a victory and be one-on-one headed into week three. Got to get to Baker Mayfield, though, Jeff. You know, the last thing before you let me go is I, I really am happy for Tariq Cohen. Oh, yeah. He I was signed bring that with the up. practice yeah. squad of the Carolina Panthers. Yep. And for a guy, what he's been through in the last few years of his life, and then the growth that we got to watch from Tariq Cohen from the first time we did an event with him to the last time we did an event – I'm really pulling for him, yeah. and I and I hope that he succeeds in Carolina. And Frank Reich, who is familiar with him from when he just burst out of the scene in the league, I hope Tariq really has an opportunity to expand his career. He's a 28 year old young man, um, and so I wish the best for him. Yeah, he's quite the fight, no question about it. Personally, uh, and then obviously professionally, with the injury that happened on that punt return. Uh, several years ago. All right, that's going to wrap us up, Tom. We're brought to you by Miller Lite, the official beer of the Bears. Tastes like Miller time. Chicago, back with you next Tuesday for our Bears-Bucks review and our weekly conversation with head coach Matt Eberflus. Bears Weekly, Thursday night, 5 p.m. ESPN 1000, a special edition, joined by Waddle and Sylvie from Hallis Hall. And again, noon, Bears and Bucks on ESPN 1000. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please subscribe now on the Bears official app, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, Tom. Bear down, buddy. Yeah, big jazz. We'll talk to you next time.
Yeah.